We just thank you for this evening. We thank you for this opportunity we have to come before you to study your word. We ask your Holy Spirit to guide and lead us as we look at this chapter in Kings and that you will show us what you want us to see. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. We're in 1 Kings chapter 2. We saw David giving, in, in last chapter, we saw David giving some instructions to, to Solomon about taking care of people that had been uh, bad during his reign. <laughs> And in chapter 2, we're going to continue seeing this. Uh, uh, remember, at the end of chapter 1, Adonijah was fearing for his life. He ran to the uh, altar, grabbed hold of the horns, and Solomon gave him mercy and said, As long as you show yourself honorable, I won't kill you. And that sets up our foreshadowing for chapter 2. <laughs> All right, verse 1 in chapter 2. Now the days of David drew nigh that he should die, and he charged Solomon and his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth, be you strong, therefore, and show yourself a man, and keep the charge of the Lord your God, and walk in the ways to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and his testimony, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do, and where, where, whithersoever you turn yourself." that the Lord may continue his word which he spoke concerning me, saying, If your children take heed to their way and walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, there shall not fail you, he said, a man on the throne. Moreover, no, let's stop right there, because this, this is David's doing some interesting things here. David is drawing close. He knows that his days are close. And that's how we started the chapter, David's dying. Uh, but apparently, David knows his, he's given his last instructions to Solomon. And he says that uh, in verse 2, I go the way of all the earth. In other words, everybody dies. And this is something that people need to realize. The younger you are, the less likely you are to realize that someday you're going to die. The older you get, the more you realize you're, you're getting closer to death. And as you get to David, 70 or so years old, and you're bedridden, you kind of realize any time now. Uh, and they say by the time you're 30, you know, 40 or 50, you start realizing that at least half of your life is gone and you have less life to live than you had. Even if you lived a long time, you still have less life to live than you had when you started. And so we see here David saying, I am going to die. And then he says, be you strong thereof and show yourself a man. And I think this is kind of an interesting statement because this statement is used over and over again in the Bible. Joshua was told, be strong and courageous. Eli to the people of Israel, be strong and courageous. Uh, Ezra to the people in Ezra 9 says that uh, to the people, be strong and courageous. Isaiah in 35, 4 says, be strong and courageous to the people. The angel to Daniel in Daniel 10 says, be strong and be courageous. Uh, we see this over and over again as we go through this time. Paul says it to the believers in 2 Corinthians 16, 13, be strong and courageous. And in Ephesians 6, 10, he says the same thing. He tells Timothy in, in 2 Timothy 2, 1, be strong and be courageous. As I read through this, I have a feeling that God wants us to be strong and courageous. <laughs> All right? Uh, you know, and how easy is it to be strong and courageous? Not very easy, especially if we're hanging out with the world and not with the, with the 
uh, rest of the Christian world. Uh, because the world's going to tell us, you know, you're a bunch of wimps, you're a bunch of, you know, you've got all these problems, you know, you, know, you don't want to re get revenge, you know, you're a pushover, you're, you're a loser, you're a coward, you know, what, what kind of person just lets, you know, lets things happen and doesn't seek revenge, what kind of person will love their, love their enemy? I was listening to one of the uh, testimonies on, on Shackled, and the guy says, these people were making fun of him for carrying a Bible, and he said, well, fine, I, I dare you to carry a Bible for one week. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, but you know, if we are going to stand up for God, it's going to take strength. Because true Christianity is totally countercultural. The world, the flesh, wants to do everything that's not godly. For us to live a godly life means we're standing up against the flow we're standing up against everybody else, and the world is going to look at us as if we're weird. And we are, according to the world standards, we are weird. And it says, be strong and show yourself a man. In other words, Solomon, keep following God no matter what. And this is important for us. Follow God no matter what. Because it's a lot easier to follow the world. You know, well, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna wait to wait to have sex until I'm married and I'm not going to put up while well, everybody's sleeping together and every, every, you know, having a good time every week and, and living together before married and we're going, wow, you know, how, how is this going to work? Well, you stand and be strong. You know, people lie all the time. God says to be honest. I'm going to be honest even if it hurts. I'm going to keep my word even if it hurts. All of these things that come down to, down the pike that says, I want to obey God no matter what, because the reward in heaven is great. Now, that's a long ways away, even if we're close to death like David, it's still a long ways away. And we're going, oh man, this is terrible. How can it be, how can I be going through all of this? And, but God says over and over, be strong, be courageous, over and over. And if it isn't in exactly those words, it's still in those words. <laughs> and we look at somebody like a Joseph, Joseph had every reason not to follow God. Given a dream, your brothers are going to bow down to you, sold into slavery. You know, he could have decided right then and there, I'm not following God anymore, look where, look where it's gotten me. And yet he honors God. Potiphar's wife goes after him. He could have easily given in and say, hey, who's going to know anyway? I'm, I'm, I'm never see my family again. Uh, but yet he honors God. What's his reward? He gets thrown into prison for, you know, under the charge of rape. You know, all these things that happened to him. And he still holds on and is strong. He was strong and courageous. He was an example of strong and courageous. Abraham finally gets Isaac. And God tells him, okay, travel three days and think about what you're going to do because you're going to Mount Moriah and you're going to offer your son as a sacrifice. Three days journey. His son, the promise that God is going to bless him. His only son, he's way too old to have any more kids after this. I mean, he was, he, he was, yeah, he was old already. And now he's been told, you're going to go off for Isaac. And we believe, for most of what people say, that Isaac was about 30 years old at the time. So we see this, and they're going three-day journey. Abraham's thinking oh, the whole, yeah. No, that's not what, that's not what it indicates. 
Most people do think of him as a boy, but everything, everything is coming out. Oh, yeah. yeah, forget the pictures that they've been shown for years. Forget the pictures that show, that show the, those. Oh, I'm sure Isaac knew exactly. If he was 30 years old, if he was 30 years old, he was strong enough to overpower his dad if he wanted to. So he went voluntarily. And that's what he said. Behold the fire, behold the wood, behold the fire, where's the sacrifice God will provide. So, no, he, everything about it seems like he was, he was voluntary. He, car- he carried the wood. Now, he might have been tied when they put him on the altar because he expected to kill him. But, uh, but you know, we look at that. Abraham's strong. Three days knowing what he's going to have to do, at least, plus the time it took to plan it. Going up the mountain. Isaac, at some point, had to understand, too, and was being strong, trying to figure out what was going on as well. Daniel, and we see examples all the way through of people who are being strong in spite of everything that happened. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. If you, you may kill us, and our, but our God is able to save us, but he, whether he does or not, we will not bow to your gods. What would we have done in that situation? Most of us probably would have bowed to the gods, even if we weren't worshiping them, we'd look like, you know, yeah, I'm bowing God, I'm praying to you. I know, I know it looks like I'm praying to this idol, but I'm only praying to you. You know, uh, and there's lots of people who did that. Even during the, the first century in the church, when people were being martyred all the time, there were a lot of people who went in and said, I'm just going to look like it. I'm not, I'm not abandoning a God, but I'm going to make it look like I'm doing these things, and I won't die. Now, was that a good thing? Absolutely not. Was God going to send them to hell because of it? No, he's still going to be merciful. He's still going to understand. Probably disappointed that they wouldn't stand up for him when everything about the word says stand up. And this is very difficult for us. It's not easy to stand for God sometimes, especially if we feel we're all alone. Elisha, Elijah, you know, Elisha, excuse me. I'm the only one that's serving you, God. And God says, no, I've got thousands who haven't bent their knee. You just go do what I've told you to do. That and, would be hard to just saying if you're in a crowd of, say, even 500 and you're the only one But that's where it becomes very important for us to grab hold of 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There hath no temptation overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And there's always a remnant. There's always a remnant. We're never standing completely alone. We may feel like we are, but there's always somebody else out there. We may not know who they are, but that's also the value of the body of Christ, where we can encourage one another. You're going through a hard time, and so much of the time we want to hide how much of, of, of the problem we're going through because we don't want anybody else to think, you know, well, they'll think I'm weak. They'll think I'm a terrible sinner if I admit to being struggling in this area. But it's important for us to be able to tell people, I have trouble in this area, and get their prayer, get their support, because otherwise we get isolated, and Satan loves isolation. And it makes it easy to kill the isolated. When, uh, when the predators go after a flock, they don't go for the center of the flock. They go for that, that little weak one that's getting left behind, the one that's sick. Now, it's a great way to get rid of the sick, but it's not, you know, we want to stay in the center of the pack, in the center with everybody else and use each other for strength. And there may be a time to stand alone and, and be brave and courageous, but there's also that time where we just need each other. And here... David is telling his son, be strong. Be strong. 
Verse 3 says, And keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in the ways, in his ways, to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and his testimonies. Now, when I read this, it struck me. Those are five different ways to talk about God's word. If you get into Psalms, all of those are terms for God's word, especially if you look at Psalm 119, which is all about God's word. It talks about his statutes, his judgments, his writings, his works, his, his uh, judgments, his testimony. All of those are words for God's word. And so David's saying, keep the charge, the instructions, the you know, guard of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. Do what he says to do. How do we know God's ways? We read the word and get to know God. You say this, okay. And the important thing as we look at God's word is do we look at God's word to try to get uh, as little as possible out of it? You know, I know a lot of Christians who they, they'll tell you they read the Bible every day. Well, how many cha- well, I read my three chapters every day. Well, that's wonderful. What did it mean to you? I don't know. What book you Well, I think I was in. You don't even know what book you were reading. You didn't think about what you read at all. You know, are we reading God's word to truly understand God? Or are we doing it to check off a box that says, God read my Bible. Now, is that going to do us any good? Better than nothing. You know, barely. <laughs> uh, but if I don't come into reading God's word with the right attitude, I might as well just be reading any other book. Yes, it's the words of life. Yes, they might de- drip in somehow. But God is saying, I want you to meditate. I want you to keep my word. I want you to honor my word. And he says, walk in his ways, keep his statutes, or his rule. You know, so walk in his, walk in his instructions, keep his instructions, and his commandments, and his judgments, and his testimonies. All right? Word, 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 word. Keep, keep, keep. Guard them. Meditate upon them. One of the greatest things, I would rather have somebody read two verses and think about those verses all day long than to read, read an entire book of the scripture and not think about it at all. You know, I would almost rather you have read one or two words and think about it all day long than to read huge chunks of the scripture. Because that meditation is where we really get to go, God, what does this mean? How am I going to use it? Many times when I'm studying, I'll pick up one or two words that are really powerful and be thinking about them. May not, those may be the only thing I remember out of the whole reading, but it's like, wow, God, what did you, look what you just said. Help me think about this. How does it apply? And David is telling Solomon, pay attention to God's word. There's a thing called a life verse. You're saying pay attention, meditate. Well, pick a life verse of your head yours but yours and you meditated on it all the time like Psalm 18 this one girl said that's her meditation verse her life verse life verse are something that means something to you in a special way you want God to get you can't just go that's my life no it's not like that at all a life verse is something like for me uh, Galatians 2:20. I memorized it as a teenager it's only been in about the last 15 20 years that that verse has really hit home as to what it means and become more of a life verse. Romans 8.28 has always been something I hold on to, and that's a life verse. No matter what happens in my life, I look at that verse and say, God, I don't understand what's going on, but you've made a promise that that all things work together for good. And there will be many verses that when you think about them, all of a sudden, it's one thing to memorize them. 
and no one, but a life verse takes that next step. And you, you put your whole life, and Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, you know, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean on to your understanding. One of those verses, you know, in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. It's a very powerful verse, and it means a lot, a lot to me. Uh, and, you know, so these verses come in, and they're more than just verses you have memorized. They're verses that impact you, and when you go through hard times, that's the verse you grab hold of. You gravitate to that book, that verse. And for every single person, they've got different, different uh, verses. Joshua 1.8 is a lot of people's verses, and that's to, to make your decision. And then later on in 20, as for me and my house, I, we will serve the Lord, is another one. So uh, we have all these verses, and they're very important for us. And so you, know, you find a verse that God says, this is what I want you to live on. This is what's important to you. And each person can have this verse that means something. And it may not mean anything else to anybody else. I had somebody share their life verse with me, and I'm going, what a strange life verse. Okay? But it meant everything to them. And I'm looking at it, and I'm going, no, nah, don't understand it at all. It doesn't mean anything, you know. Yeah, it's in God's word, but it, it, it doesn't jump out of the page like it's done to you. But the key to this is not just to use these books and stuff as, you know, support, but say, God, what is it that I really need? And grab hold of these verses because those are verses that somebody said when I needed a friend, these are the verses that stood out. Now, they may or may not mean anything to you, but the Bible has plenty of verses on friendship. Okay? Plenty. How to love somebody, how to not have jealousy, how to let God be your, I mean, whatever it might be, there's plenty of verses. And you find the verse that says, speaks to you. And you never know what those verses might be. For many people that are called to be teachers, the James 3.1 becomes, many of you ought not to be teachers for the, for the uh, judgment is greater. You know, telling, warning you, if, you're gonna, if you want to be a follower, you know, if you want to be a teacher, that's great. It's a great, great goal. But you're accountable for every word that you teach. And doubly so because people's lives are changed by what you speak. So it becomes very important for people. What, is the, what are the verses that really stand out to you? And it might not be a bad deal when you're going through the scripture and something really stands out to you, write those down. Write those down so you can keep thinking about them and, and review them and know what they are. And like I say, many of my life, many of what are now my life verses are different from what they were in the past. And they're things that I learned a long time ago. And God says, you just, these were just words to you in the past. Now they're life. And this is true. We look at this. There's many places that talk about the Bible being the Logos, the Word of God. Okay, the written word of God. There's another word in the Greek for, for word, and it's called rhema, living spoken word. The spoken word, it's alive. What is really important, the logos is great. It's God's truth. But what's really important is when it comes off the page, jumps off the page as a rhema, and says, I'm living. I am applicable to where you are right now, right this moment, and I want you to think about me and remember me. And we all need those at times. And when we're looking for the, through the Bible, we're looking for those words that just jump off the page in life. And if you're really seriously looking for them, you'll find them. I can't, I mean, I can't go through and, you know, when I'm in the right attitude. And there's times I just read my three chapters a day just because it's time to do it. I'm in a hurry. I'm just trying to get it done. There's other times, and which is more often than not, where I'm going, God, show me what I need for today. 
and I think about it, and I find two or three verses to think about all day long, God's word is going to help us no matter what. But when, it, when we get to that place where it becomes living, you know, and there's all kinds of times when I see that how, jumping off the page, I'm going, God, that wasn't there before. I know it wasn't there. I've never read it before. And I'm teasing with him, and he knows that I'm teasing with him because I know it's always been there. But there's certain times that it just happens. And during those readings, sometimes it may not be a bad deal to read different versions of the Bible just to see what different translators have said. Just make sure they're good ones. <laughs> uh, and see, what, see what's out there. Uh, there are places where something like the King James uh, is better and, or the Eng, uh, English Standard Version can be really good sometimes. Even some of the paraphrases might be good. You know, the further you get away from literal translation, the more you need to be a little questionable on <laughs> what you're reading. But read some of those. Sometimes they're really good in translations. Uh, on a rare occasion, I'll read some other translation because it, the power of the verse it comes across better. And it's very rare, but I'll do it every once in a while. And then he says, As is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and what, whithersoever you turn yourself. So he says, follow the law as Moses, as, as Moses wrote down. Because you want to keep in mind... The original part, the first five books of the Bible are considered by all Jews as inspired. The first five books, the Pentateuch, the, the work of Moses. Everything thereafter depends on which, which sect of Judaism you're in. Because they'll go the law and the prophets. So the first five books are the law and everything else is writings. <laughs> and they may or may not trust them completely. Which is why if you, you know, sometimes we as Christians will go, well... You know, these Jews should be reading Isaiah 53, which talks all about Jesus. Well, for the Jews that don't believe in anything other than the law as being important, they're never going to read Isaiah 53. All right? And there are many of them that don't. Uh, when Jesus' day, the scribes and Pharisees, to get to their position, they had to memorize the law. All five books. So when Paul would, when Paul would quote the scriptures, it wasn't just, he wasn't from just reading them, he memorize them. That was part of what he had to do. So, and we feel like we're doing a good job if we memorize a couple hundred verses, you know, in our lifetime. Well, I heard somebody, I think, might have been Corson, say that it doesn't matter if you take notes, but if you ever go back and read them, just the act of writing them down helps stick it in your mind. Well, because it activates, you know, you're reading it with, you're reading it as the teacher reads it, you're hearing it as they speak it, and then you write it, you're activating three senses. Three of, your, three of your five senses, and you will remember more. And then if you're in a group where you can actually discuss it, you're now activating four, and you'll remember it even longer. So the more, the more activity we have, the, the more it is uh, going to be remembered. And, and it's right. There's times when I've written notes, and I've never gone back, but I still remember the topic without having gone back. But as was said, even if you never review the notes, just the act of writing them down helps you remember. If you do go back, that's even better. Because you're reviewing and that, that review, that review adds another layer of memory to, to you. Uh, or even if you do it some future time, it can trigger those memories for you. But it's also the advantage of having things recorded. Because you can go back and listen to them again. And the church I grew up in recorded everything and you could get the cassette, cassettes 
they had to buy them, but you could buy the cassettes and listen to, the, to a message over again. And so it's very important. The more we drill these things into our head, the better off we're going to be turning it from just written words to something alive that changes our life. Because that is the key. God is saying, here's my word. Here's my thoughts. Here's my heart. Get to know my heart is what God is wanting. And that means going beyond just the words. And it's easy. It's easy just to get stuck in the words. Oh, God, you said do this. I'm going to do it. All right. God says, okay, well, you'll get blessed for doing it. But I really wish you would get the heart behind. And that's what Jesus did. He took the law and made it harsher in many ways. He said, you know, you've heard it said you shall not uh, commit, commit adultery. And I say, if you've looked at the woman with, with desire in your heart, you've committed adultery before God. You know, uh, you shall not kill your brother. I say, if you're angry with Adam without cause, you've committed murder. You know, so all of these things, God said, Jesus took it from the next level and says, just because you don't do it doesn't mean you haven't committed the sin in God's eyes. Now, the consequence is a lot different. You know, don't, we, don't, we always want to, you know, the consequence of thinking about adultery and doing adultery are totally different. Okay, the consequences of thinking about murdering somebody and actually murdering them are very different. But God says, you're still guilty. You're still guilty of the crime before him. And that's enough to send us to hell, but it doesn't cause a consequence on this, on this world. But it opens, I mean, if all you're doing is thinking about adulterous acts or murderous acts, eventually you're going to do it. And it's one of the problems with pornography. Eventually people are going to act out the pornography that they're watching. It may take them decades. It may take just years. But eventually, they're going to act out what they're filling their mind with. If somebody is always angry with people and, and thinking about ways to murder, eventually, they're going to do something. They may fall short of murder, but they're going to hurt somebody because that's what their mind is covering. And that's what God is saying. Where is your mind? How is your mind on God? Is your mind following him? And David's encouraging Solomon here, get into God's word. Get into his word that's going to keep you and then whatever you do, God will prosper you because you're doing things his way. Now, and this is the beauty of it. The more I do things God's way, the more I prosper, not just because I'm obeying God, but because I'm doing what is right. And there's consequences that are good for it. Verse 4 says that the Lord may continue his word, which he spoke concerning me, saying, if your children take heed to their ways to walk before me in truth all, with all their heart and with all their soul there shall not fail the he said said he a man on the throne of Israel this is the Davidic co covenant David was promised a person would be from his seed forever on the throne of Israel and it was conditional and yet not conditional. When God first gave it to him, it was just straight up, you'll have somebody on your, your seed that's going to sit on there. Then he conditioned it so that they have to be obedient. He spent enough time with David. Yeah. So, but you know, this is so important. Who was that final seed of David's that still sits on the throne? Jesus Christ, son of David. Now, David had a lot of bad kids. But you know, the, the southern kingdom 
always had a king, a son of David, on the throne. Now the northern kingdom is another story. They started out on the wrong hand and they had a couple different dynasties of kings ruling. And God said, you are so bad, I'm going to wipe out you and your, your, your children on the third generation and there won't be any more in the third generation. They were all killed and a new, new person was raised up to be their king who didn't honor God, who would later on get a curse on them that they, <laughs> that they would lose. But David has always had a son on the throne. Wasn't the southern kingdom called Judah? Judah. Israel. No. He was a tribe of Judah. David is of the tribe of Judah. In uh, Genesis, when uh, Jacob blessed his children, he told Judah that the, the, the scepter would be from his house. So when Saul became king, he was the wrong tribe. He's from the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin was not supposed to have the king. And the amazing thing is that Benjamin sided with Judah when David ruled and, and when this kingdom split stayed on, on uh, with David. So it's kind of an interesting, interesting mix. The two kings that were appointed by God were from Judah and Benjamin and they stayed in the southern kingdom and stayed, stayed true to God longer than the rest of them. Uh, but it's a beautiful picture. Judah, the king... All right, and David was of the tribe of Judah, and of course Jesus, because he's the son of David, is from the tribe of Judah. So we see all of this going on, and he says that Solomon be good. God promised if you guys be good, I'm going to have somebody on my, uh, you know, our dynasty will reign forever. What a, what a pressure to put on Solomon. Solomon, you misbehave, and our dynasty ends, and it'll be your fault because it's supposed to go forever. All right. Verse 5. Moreover, you know also what Joab, the son of Zeruai, did to me, and what he did to the two captains of the host of Israel, unto Abner, the son of Ner, and Amasah, the son of Jether, whom he slew and shed the blood of war in peace, and put the blood of war upon his girdle that was all about his loins and in his shoes that were on his feet. Do therefore according to your wisdom and let not his whorehead go down to the grave in peace. All right. David has put up with Joab all of his life. Joab is getting a little older and David finally is saying, it's time to take care of him. You figure out how to do it, Solomon. I, you know, almost you get here... Uh, Solomon, I was too afraid to do anything to Joab, but uh, he's older now, you're young, you, you do what it takes, you, you do. And a couple things that he puts in. You know what Joab, the son of Zerai, did unto me. Now, we kind of want to think about this. What did Joab do directly to David? Okay, we know he goes on, he killed Abner, he killed Amosa. All right, uh, so Abner he killed when David had made peace. How did he kill Abner? If you remember the story from uh, 2 Samuel, he called Abner as if he was being called by David and drew him aside to give him a secret message and killed him. That's after David had given him... After Abner was going to say, I'll give you the kingdoms, he gave him the kingdoms. And I'm sure that Joab was afraid that Abner was going to be made a co-general or be made general. Okay, 
What, what was the price of Abner's? You know, and Joab was, then he went to Emosa, who was, again, promoted to general. In Joab's, in Joab, this, a couple of times David tried to take and put Joab in his place. Abner and, and Amosa were both those people, and he killed both of them. All right? Joab was not above bloodshed. We do know that he participated in the death of uh, Uriah. Jesus, uh, David said, put him in the middle of the battle, and when it, when it gets really hot, pull, your, pull, pull the support for him so he dies. So he participated willingly in that death. What else did he do? He killed Absalom. All right? He killed Absalom when David had said, don't kill the boy, and then got in David's face about it. Okay? You, were, you were wrong. It was bad. You know, he, was, he was not submitted to David. If he thought David was wrong, he got in and said all kinds of things and pushed him. Uh, in 1 Chronicles 21.6, David says that Joab was abominable toward him. All right? The added, and I think he's really talking about the attitude that Joab had. If Joab disagreed with him, he was going to make David bend his way. And for some reason, David was always afraid of him. Probably because he was the general. He had the support of the army. He did a number, yeah, because that was the whole thing, and that was a bad decision as well. Almost all the bad decisions have Joab in the middle of them. Joab has tried to cause the rebellion for Solomon. All right, so that's the very recent one. So Joab is not a nice man. He has not been submitted to David. Now, he's gone out to war for David. He's done a lot of good things to help David, and David recognizes he's powerful. And it's almost uh, like getting in bed with the devil, and David knew what he was doing. It's like, okay, this guy's nothing but trouble for me, but he's also good in battle. He's good in different things. And finally, he gets to the place, and he says, Jonathan, I'm Jonathan, Solomon, you take care of him according to your wisdom. Do not let his whore or gray hair die in peace. So David's saying, execute him, literally. Yeah. Kind of, kind of in a poetic way, but he's saying, don't let him die in peace. You make sure that he dies a horrible death, execution. All right? Because when, above all else, the killing of these two generals is a big deal to David. I know, but he didn't even mention Absalom. No, didn't mention Absalom. I think maybe, though, that, that was part of, you know what he's done to me. Part of that may be that. That was a sore part for David. You, you killed my son. After, and as you said, after you talked me into bringing him back, and then you went out and killed him. Uh, you know, plus all the other places where Absalom, uh, Joab was not, not kind. So John, uh, David tells him, kill him. Execute, execute him. Verse 7, but show kindness unto the sons of Brazilii, the Gileite, and let them be as those that eat at your table so that they... For so they came to me when I fled because of Absalom, your brother. All right, so he tells them what to do with Shimei. And if you all remember, Shimei is the one that, that met David in the wilderness with food and, and provided food for David and his people. Uh, and when they came back, when Absalom was killed and they came back, David told Brazilii, come to the palace, I will take care of you. And Brazilia said, I'm old, I can't taste food, I can't hear 
I can't see very well. Why do I want to go to the palace and be entertained? You know, and, David, and he says, well, take my son. And David took his son to get all the blessings that Brazilii. And we talked about how what a perfect picture of that was for, for uh, the father bringing us into the family. You know, the, son, the son gets the, the blessing. The, the child gets the blessing. All right. The father does what's right and the son gets the blessing. <laughs> and uh, so we see here, Brazilian, and he says, okay, Solomon, you keep remembering Brazilian's children. David was really good about honoring his word when he said he was going to do something. He went out and found Meshibosheth, Jonathan's son, and put him at the table of the king. And said, Meshivasheth, you will be a, you will be treated as a prince because of your brother because of your brother because of your father. And now he's telling telling uh, uh, Solomon, take care of Brazilia's children. I said they would sit as princes. You're going to feed them. You're going to treat them like royalty. Not that they're going to be in line for the for the throne, but you're going to have them at your table. You're going to treat them. You're going to give them good things. Why? Because of their father's love and help with me. This is something that's important. How do we honor people that are nice to us? Do we, do we make them feel special? Do we help them out as best we can? You know, or do we kind of just, oh, thanks for the help. <laughs> Put, you know, one, one, more, one more notch in my climb to the top. That's the world's way of doing it. Uh, you helped me, good. You know, bye, see you later, sucker. That's not the way we are to be as Christians. Oh, you've helped me, thank you. Let's see what I can do to help you in return. We may not be able to ever do anything in return, but the idea is how are we going to minister to somebody? What are we going to do to help them? And here we see this going on. Verse 8, And behold, you have with you Shimei, the son of Gera, the Benjamite of Behurim, who cursed me with a grievous curse in that day that I went from Merorim but he came down and met me at the Jordan, and I swore unto him by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death with the sword. Now therefore hold him not guiltless, for you are a wise man and know what you ought to do to him. But his forehead bring you down to the grave with blood. David showed mercy, and he's, it's kind of interesting that he's making Solomon be the bad guy. All right, Solomon, you go take care of all these people that I gave mercy to. Uh, why did he give mercy to Shimei? I, I think he, he was feeling kind of number one magnanimous at the time. He's being going back to his kingdom, but I also think at the same time he wasn't sure where he was at yet. He wasn't. He hadn't even been back to Jerusalem to see, you know, what, what was going on with the army, what was going on with the, the court. I don't think he was ready to to uh, have Shimei executed. This is this is a son of Benjamin, huh? Above, the, above them and cursed them as they wandered, walked down. But remember, he is of the tribe of Benjamin, of the family of Saul. So David, when he was coming back, couldn't really afford to get Benjamin mad at it, you know, the tribe of Benjamin mad at him. He, he hadn't even made it back home yet. He, had, he didn't know where conditions, so he was nice to him. He gave him mercy. But he tells Solomon, go get him. <laughs> Yeah, kind of interesting. All right, Solomon, take Joab out. Take, take Shimei out. Um, 
you know, which is not too uncommon for, for a king when they start their kingdom to take out the enemies of them and or their father just to, just to get rid of anything that may cause them problems. And so we see this happening. And then verse 10, So David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. And the days that David reigned over Israel were 40 years. Seven, in, seven years he reigned in Hebron, and 33 he reigned in Jerusalem. So we know that David reigned for 40 years, and 33 of them in Jerusalem. And David is no more. Now, uh, he, he went to heaven, buried in Jerusalem. And we see here, verse 12, Then sat Solomon upon the throne of David his father, and his kingdom was established greatly. So Solomon, just nice, peaceful transition of power, and he is established. He's sitting on the throne, and we have an easy transition. It doesn't actually tell us that you know when he does all these things, all the all these things for them. But you know, but he's ready to establish his kingdom. Now we really don't have time for this next story. So we're going to stop here. We're about 10 minutes early. Does anybody have any comments or questions? I don't, I don't really want to, ta- I really don't want to tackle this story that goes for another 15, 20 verses. <laughs> 12. It's a long story, and I really don't want to get stuck in the middle of it because I have to lay down the foundation of what goes <laughs> and why it's as bad, and why what he did is as bad as what it and why he deserved death for what he did. We can discuss stuff. I had a problem with my car. Oh. I said earlier, he blessed me, and then the guy that helped me with it put the part in, he blessed me, and I tried to give him money, and he refused it. So I said, I have all these rice and beans, and uh, brown rice and beans, and he goes, wow, great, I could really use that. So I gave him, Let's close in prayer before we go too far here. Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for how much you love and care for us. Lord, help us to remember your love. Help us to see your word as alive and powerful. We just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.